It's such a powerful thing, fatherhood. And I think many of my friends whom I've spoken to who've been fathers for a short or even a long period always talk about that feeling you get the first time um, you hold your child in their arms. But we know it's not only biological fathers we celebrate today. Um, many of us father those that are at times just a little bit younger than what we are. So whether it be at the boys' brigade or whether it's at your working environment where you mentor a few younger men and sometimes even women as well, um, it is an amazing privilege to be able to impart something of who we are into others. So before we share a few announcements, I want to invite you just to still your heart and to calm your thoughts as you think of your own father. Many of us have lost our fathers in years gone by. Some of you recently, um, some of you maybe years or even decades ago. Um, and maybe today you think of your, your own husband that you've lost some time ago. So let's just calm our thoughts and thank God for the time we had with our dads, whether they are with us currently or whether they are far away, whether they are already in heaven with God. So let's just pause, think of our fathers, give God thanks for them. And then I will do a short prayer that Pete Gregg wrote a few years ago. And I will lead us in a short prayer. We pray today for dads. New dads, granddads, stepdads, adoptive dads, and solo dads. Boldy ones, beardy ones, skinny ones, and cuddly ones. Dads who tell bad jokes and dance to songs like YMCA. Dads who know how to fix things, and dads who just pretend. Father to the fatherless, we pray for those for whom this day is sadder than it is happy. Those who feel they have failed, those who are grieving children they never had, those missing their dads or their children even more than usual. Father God, at a time of so much pain where so many dads are distant, absent or even abusive, we lean into your ever-present love and healing. You are faithful and kind, especially for those, those of us that are orphaned, abandoned, and hurt. Father of comfort, would you heal our many hurts and restore the dignity, the strength, and integrity of fatherhood in our families, in our communities, and in our nations? In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Folks, as you know, we are busy with a series called the I Am Expressions or Declarations of Jesus Christ. Last week, we referred to Jesus in John 6 as the bread of life. We are reminded of Jesus feeding the 5,000 plus people, Him giving His life for us, Jesus' body being broken for our salvation, encouraging us to be broken for the world around us. And today we are going to talk about Jesus saying that he is the 
light of the world. So that will be our focus from John chapter 8. Friends, our call to worship this morning will be in the form of a scripture reading. And I encourage you just to keep your eyes closed if you want to and listen to the message translation of this very familiar passage. Here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that you've been put there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. This generous Father in heaven. Amen. Now, growing up, I kind of feared the dark a lot. Maybe you are like me. If you think back to your childhood, you think of all the creatures lurking under your bed or just beyond the window. The feeling of relief I often experienced when my father opened the door, allowing light to burst into the room as he came to kiss me goodnight after a long day of work. Ever felt that? That feeling of relief when someone comforts you. That feeling of sheer joy when darkness is dispelled or displaced by the arrival of light. The kisses and cuddles would soon fade with the closing of the door then behind my father. Fortunately, when I was old enough, I had one of these that could shed light into the dark corners of the room that I was in to soothe me, to illuminate the room so that I'm able to see what's going on around me. I don't know if you've ever seen these glow-in-the-dark stars, but it was very big in the 90s when I grew up, and you could place them on the ceiling of your room, and they would absorb the light and the energy of that which was around it, and then it would shine for a few minutes, two or three minutes, and it was as if you were stargazing for a few, four to five minutes, making me feel as if though I could deal with the darkness around me. Because darkness, friends, has this ability to shrink us, to slow us down and to rid us of our potential and confidence. And you know what? I think we face a lot of darkness today in the world. We know if it's not poverty or inequality or gun violence, school shootings or warfare, economic crisis, we know it hits us on a very personal level, whether it's mental health, things like depression or displacement or loneliness. I'm here today to remind you, friends, that there is hope, that the Lord of hosts, Jesus Christ, has already overcome the world and its crippling darkness. Someone once said, I actually think it's a Chinese proverb, it's better to light a candle 
than to curse the darkness. It's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Why else would Jesus so confidently refer to himself as the light of the world? In a time and age where there is so much confusion, we need this light to illuminate our lives and lead us on the path of righteousness more than ever. And when we're able to follow Jesus, we are encouraged to invite others to come along with us. Matthew 5.16, which we read earlier for our call to worship, says it as follows in the NIV. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now you might feel a little bit overwhelmed by the darkness in your life. Or maybe there's just a minor, a minor issue that you are dealing with where you need some guidance or discernment. Whatever your current state, God the Father sent Jesus to remind us that we are never alone in our darkness and in our difficult circumstances. That the light of life will always be there for us and that our salvation, friends, it is secured. So why this second declaration, I am expression, here in chapter 8? Why is it so important why nowhere else why not at the start of the gospel of john or maybe why not at the end of the book now when we read the bible it's always good to look at the context it helps us to have an even richer interpretation and it will assist us also if we look at this metaphor of light to have a bit of a background sketch of what's actually going on in the world that Jesus found himself in. When we read chapter 7, we realize it is a very special time of the year, a time of celebration for the Jewish people. It is called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It's still celebrated today by the Jewish people and it is referred to as Sukkot. Sukkot means booth. One of three major festivals each year instituted by the Lord, a seven-day festival to commemorate the Lord's provision for the Israelites as He led them out of Egypt to their salvation through the wilderness, leading them by a cloud during the day and by a fiery pillar at night. This pillar of fire, this light, was the Shekinah, the very presence of God. And so for seven days, the Israelites would live in tents or booths in and around Jerusalem. People would eat their meals in these tents and some of them would even sleep in there. They were made of branches and leaves to remind the people of the hardships they endured during their time in the wilderness. Every evening, crowds of worshippers gathered in the women's court of the temple. And then there were these four massive lampstands. Some commentaries say it was up to 150 feet 
tall. Now my mind works in meters, so that's approximately 45 to 50 meters tall. That is pretty high. And then you had, in each of these, you had four bowls of oil. The wicks were made of discarded undergarments of the priests. And all night long, the boys of the priestly families would climb up and down ladders, filling and refilling these bowls of oil so that the lamps would burn and burn and burn like the pillar of fire that led their fathers and mothers through the wilderness. The light from these 16 bowls bounced off the bronze gate at the end of the courtyard and the white walls of the temple. And the light was so bright that it illuminated the whole of the city of Jerusalem. What a sight that must have been. This celebration, the Feast of Booths, focused on the promise of God sending a light, an anointed one, a Messiah, the one who would free the people from their bondage. In this festival there were sacrifices and then scriptures like Isaiah 9 verse 2 would be read. It would read, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then friends, on the final night, on the seventh night, the candle bras were extinguished and then there was darkness. The light was extinguished because God had not yet sent the Savior. And so the temple grows dark. The tents are torn down. And the next morning, Jesus enters that same temple court, surrounded by people standing up and declaring that He is the Messiah. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will never walk in darkness. And so Jesus becomes the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles with that statement. For Jesus to claim that He is the light of the world was no small thing. In fact, it is a claim of equality with God. The Greek word used here actually means that He He's referring to himself also as God. We know that when we talk about the I am declarations and expressions of Jesus, it is a bit of a CV that Jesus is drawing up. And that's why it upset the authorities and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was nothing less than a claim to deity. Light bears witness to itself. Every day when the sun rises, it tells you it is there. The only people who can't see the light are those who are blind. If we return to the opening statement of the Gospel of John, light and darkness was used as a contrast between belief and unbelief. Jesus was described as the true light that gives light to everyone even to a woman caught in adultery and her accusers. And she's given a second chance. Why did the Pharisees walk away when Jesus stooped down to write in the soil? He said, 
let anyone who is without sin cast the first stone. Any idea? The Greek word translated as without sin actually means similar. So it could be read, let anyone who is without similar sin cast the first stone. Nowhere else in the Gospels does Jesus write. Others write on his behalf, years and decades later. Scholars actually debate what Jesus wrote down in the ground. Some argue that he wrote down the sin of those wanting to hang about. And as soon as light was shown, that which was concealed in darkness, brought into the light, the scales fell from their eyes. That date he just wrote down reminds me of that day I did this and that similar sin. And they walked away, leaving the woman as she was. Neither do I condemn you, says the light of life. This God that knows everything, absolutely everything about you and still chooses to love you. No matter what you've done or what others accuse you of, He shows mercy always. How liberating that must have been for her to have stood in the presence of the light of life, illuminated like that big candles in the temple courtyard, expecting to be stoned, to die and then to be rescued from perishing. Go and leave your life of sin. Leave the darkness behind. Choose for redemption and freedom. Light a candle instead of cursing the darkness. If Jesus is the light of the world, we should never have to walk in darkness again. Jesus is the only way to God. He is the only way to living a life that is filled with peace and strength and grace and courage, love and mercy, forgiveness and power. We must seek the light and we must follow the light, Jesus. Some of you here today feel like you are walking in darkness. The phone isn't ringing. And you wish it would. You miss him so much. And you wish you could hold his hand just one more time. The stress is more than what you can bear. What if she doesn't get better? What if I end up not being able to pay the bills? For us, it's been such a blessing to have Anna and Svetlana stay with us. Their stories are so inspiring. They are so resilient. Their willingness to hold on to their faith, trusting God continuously. Their father and grandfather and uncle resist Russian oppression and tanks where they are living. There's something of this light of Jesus within them. And it just can't be diminished. Friends, in the darkness of the shadowlands, we turn to Jesus, we fly to Jesus, 
We rely on Jesus when we are lonely, grieving, hopeless and confused. When the storms come, we look for the light of the world. The light that shines brightest in the darkest of places. I'm going to end off by showing you one or two pictures from a place called Barrow in Alaska. As you can see, it's way up north, located 330 miles north of the Arctic Circle. The sun goes down in Barrow on November 18th, and it doesn't come back again until the 23rd of January. That's a long time to be without light. James Cox talked about a man who lived near the North Pole. And during three months of darkness, he said, I ached and hungered to see the dawn. He was desperate to see the light of the rising sun. But it is infinitely more important for people, for you and I, to see the light of the risen Savior shining in us today. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 tells us, You, each of us, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into the marveling light. We have been called, friends, out of darkness into the marvelous light. We have been called to shine. And in this week, today, and in the days ahead, whenever you switch on a light at home, switch on the lights of your car, or maybe you like lighting a candle at home. Be remembered of this very powerful metaphor. That that one, that Messiah, that the people were expecting, hoping and praying for, has already come. And He resides in each and every one of your hearts. May that fill you with so much hope and courage in the time that we are in. Be blessed as you are reminded that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Amen. Maybe there is someone in your life that needs to be reminded of this message. Maybe you need to show a form of kindness to someone. To emulate something of Christ's love for them. To light up their lives. In a few moments of silent prayer, may the Spirit of God point people out of situations or circumstances where you need to infiltrate to share the light of life. May our Christian living be a light to those who live in darkness. May our communities, our Christian communities, be cities of light to be seen from afar as signs that God lives and works in His people. And may God bless you all for this mission. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go now and let the light of Christ shine on all those who live around you. 
Thanks be to God forevermore. Amen.